Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Beat podcast. The mission of our podcast is to show the real-life challenges of implementing technology in healthcare. The podcast is sponsored by Demigas, a company that develops IT solutions for healthcare startups and companies. For more information, you can check demigas.com. My name is Ivan Dunsky and I am joined by an honored guest, Marquis Davis, a director of information technology at Cornell Scott Hill Health Center with over 21 years of experience in the IT industry. Marquis started as the director of IT in healthcare at the age of 24. One of the youngest IT executives in Connecticut, leading multiple million dollar projects and technology deployments. His knowledge spans from system integration, leveraging resources, leadership, and cultivating relationships in both the corporate and nonprofit fields. Marquis, thank you for being here. Thank you for how, having me, Ivan. How are you today? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Yeah, thank you. I'm good as well. Could you please give a brief background of uh, your organization and what you do at Cornell Scott Hill Health Center? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So Cornell Scott Hill Health Center has been around a little over uh, 50 years. We serve around about 36,000 patients within the New Haven area with a total visit of around about 230 unique visits a year. We have around about 10 locations. My department supports about 600 users from IT infrastructure, privacy and security, and telecommunication, which also includes telemedicine as well. Yeah, that's great. So you mentioned telemedicine. Could you please tell us how do you use it in the organization? So right now, and I think like with most uh, medical organizations and here in the States, you know, we're looking at tele- telemedicine a little bit differently. But as of right now, we're using platforms such as Doximity to deliver clinical services to our patients within our service areas. And thus far, those, you know, platforms like Doximity have been very valuable to delivering care and also increasing care continuity around the organization and within the community that we serve. Mm -hmm. Got it. And just a step back just for uh, understanding, Uh, am I right that you provide both inpatient and outpatient services? We mostly provide outpatient services. We do have some programs um, such as our detox services that we have where we keep some of our patients for a short period of time, but a good majority of our services are outpatient services that we have. Mm-hmm. Got it. What do you think are the biggest challenges of your organization currently, if you could share with us? From a technology perspective, I, I would say, you know... No, in, in general, what do you think are the most crucial things that the organization is willing to, to overcome? Oh, well, I I would say, you know, being able to really ramp up the services that we provide for our our clients uh, throughout the area, 
I've lived in the community that we served in, born and raised in the area. So I'm very familiar with the organization and the services that they deliver. And I have close friends and family that use the services as well. But I, I think just being able to address the needs of the community rapidly with a comprehensive care solution and plan in place, I think that's the case for most organizations, especially community-based health centers in the United States. But yeah, I would say just being able to provide very rapid, comprehensive care. Mm -hmm. You experience high demands at the moment? Yes, yes, especially with COVID and mm -hmm. the variants that are popping up. We, we have seen an increase in visits. We have seen an increase in COVID um, vaccinations as well. Mm -hmm. But the organization has been able to respond to those issues very quickly. It really has an impact our ability to operate as an organization. And the IT department has been able to keep up with the demand as well. Mm -hmm. Got it. And what is your main focus in a technology perspective right now? I think my main focus is one of the things that I like to do with any organization is just making sure that the strategic plan of the department also aligns with the strategic plan of the organization. It's very difficult to deliver IT solutions that aren't in line with what the organization is doing overall. At the moment, what we're doing is identifying opportunities where we can find and deliver care via telemedicine so we can touch as many folks as we can within the community and the service area. So finding and, and really nurturing those telemedicine um, solutions that we currently have, and also looking for these new technologies that are on the horizon to see how they really truly implement within the company as well. Yeah, I see. And I think that that could be very relevant to our listeners, especially for those who develop telemedicine solutions. Mm -hmm. Could you please give a background of how you choose different vendors of telemedicine and how these solutions and services are approved within the organization? Yeah, so it takes a lot of communication and partnership with our clinical teams. I always tell folks, you know, the IT departments and IT leadership isn't necessarily the folks that you go to always solve a business problem. We, we have to really, you know, communicate and, and really connect and understand what the problems are before we even identify a solution. So I would say really cultivating those relationships within a healthcare organization, your clinical teams are essential. Get to know them very well so that once you do identify a solution, it fits their needs, it fits their workflows. And I think that really creates a sustainable and meaningful solution long-term. And, you know, it makes the clinicians happy at the end of the day. So I, I think that's important as well. Yeah, and patients. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that, that often it is um, a disconnect between decision makers and clinicians. Mm -hmm. So how exactly do you ensure that you choose the product that will be used by clinicians and patients? Yeah, again, I, I think it goes back to this cultivating those relationships, but also allowing those clinicians to have uh, representation and a voice through the entire process. So from the point of identifying a vendor, but also having a part in the implementation process as well. We don't know the workflows um, of those clinical departments. We, we provide technology solutions to assist and to complement their workflow, 
but we, we don't own those workflows. So we want to make sure that when we do select a solution, that there's representation from those clinical departments and, and with the hope that they actually champion and, and drive portions of that implementation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these clinicians are busy people. So do you ask them to try different solutions and like just uh, tell their feedback or, or how specifically that happened? So historically, when I've done implementations for technology solutions, clinicians are very apprehensive about really taking a, a, a large role in those type of implementations. But I, I let them know that it's just as important for them to have a role in the implementation because ultimately Mm -hmm. this is going to be the tool that they're going to be using every day to take care of their patients. This is the tool that they're going to be using to help them with their productivity and and, and the like. Uh, So while it might be uncomfortable in the beginning, I think it's very valuable for them to play a major role during the implementation, not to say that they have to do any programming or configurations um, or anything like that, but making sure that they understand the pros and the cons of each solution that's out there on the market and each solution that, that we're vetting. So in the end, you let them decide what to choose. Yeah, I don't make the decision. I I, I help them understand uh, uh-huh. what's available. I help them understand the functionality of those solutions. But ultimately, it's not up to IT leadership in, in regards to what's selected. We we do provide some guidance around here is what will work best for our environment. So we kind of weed out those vendors that don't really fit our organization. And we present the ones that fit within our IT framework. And so then at that point, we give the clinicians and the clinical leadership the opportunity to kind of, you know, figure out which solution works best for them. Because again, ultimately, IT folks, we're not going to use those solutions. We'll support them. We can support, you know, 99.99% of the solutions out there. So it really boils down to what is most comfortable for those clinical teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see. And I'm just wondering, are you considering any custom solutions or off-the-shelf solutions only? So that's been a discussion that's been popping up within the last month or so. I think most organizations have come from the school of thought that, well, if the product doesn't exist, there has to be some vendor or some other solution out there that we can purchase to close the gap. But I think now as you know, healthcare becomes a little bit more complex, we're de- delivering more complex type of services, the needs become a little bit different. So I think we're coming into an era where we need to build some in-house applications, mm-hmm. maybe not on a full scale where we have a DevOps department or internal development team churning out those applications. But I think we're getting closer to that point where as we have more advanced analytics and, and the like, those needs are going to expand a little bit more. So that you maybe control the data and you can get some custom analytics, for example, from the data, right? Exactly. And you mentioned the complexity. So what kind of complexity do you see in the current market and what is your perspective on that? Well, when I say complexity, there's a vast and large area of complexity that we we address not only as an organization, but just within the IT department. But we we have a very 
complex population as it regards to care. So being able to address those needs of that population rapidly in a meaningful way, but also making sure that the technology solutions that we have in place also complement those deliveries of care. One of the more complex things that I see that we're going to be dealing with for quite some time is around security and privacy, making sure that we have an established IT framework in place so we can build a solid foundation around just, you know, fundamental security practices moving forward. Mm-hmm. So is, is that means that you want to address diverse groups of patients? Is that the complexity you are talking about? Yeah, well, diverse, uh, I think the population has a very diverse set sets of needs. So making uh-huh. sure that, again, we have the, the infrastructure um, in place so we can address those needs. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you have that, you need to adjust to those needs, which not necessarily always could be covered by off-the-shelf solutions. So that's why you're considering Right. Yeah. And, and again, nurturing and establishing those relationships with those clinical teams becomes really essential at that point. Um, mm-hmm. We don't necessarily always get the information that we need quickly from certain organizations or departments within the, the company. But, you know, being able to have those conversations kind of off the cuff with the medical director or department head saying, hey, you know, what are the issues that you're struggling with this month? Is, is there something that the IT department or leadership can assist you with so we can help you remove these barriers? And, and a lot of times those conversations or those communications don't always come through an email or a trouble ticket. So one of the things that I like to do is have regular meetings, whether it be once a month or every other month, with members of uh, the clinical leadership, just to understand their wants and needs. Mm-hmm. Maybe to make priorities. Right. And then, yeah, yeah, right. of course. And uh, could you please explain the process of actual choosing a vendor? Do you have some, I don't know, maybe scoring system or what is the process looks like? Well, yeah, I've had processes vary uh, from organization to organization. So it's a little bit different with with this organization that I'm with right now. As I mentioned before, you know, I've been there at the moment for three and a half months. So there aren't really too many barriers when it comes to selecting vendors. And it depends on what type of vendor it is. So again, if it's a clinical vendor, I absolutely involve the clinical teams and the clinical leadership to make mm-hmm. sure that this makes sense for them. But when it comes to any IT solutions that are specifically for the IT department, I'm pretty much the last stop for that. So yeah. I evaluate the needs of the organization. I evaluate the needs of the department, make sure that whatever solution that we are selecting is not only sustainable, but makes sense overall for the strategic plan of the organization. So whether it be security and privacy or even training modules that will assist us with security and privacy for new employees, it's a little bit difficult question to to answer because again, it it really depends on where the solution is gonna be implemented. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. You also mentioned privacy and security and uh, Mm -hmm. obviously that's a very big deal in healthcare. Could you please share with us how do you ensure that in your organization? What is your process like? How do you, when maybe when you choose vendors, how you check them? So one of the things that I've, I've been doing over the years is identifying applications that we have internally 
that we mm -hmm. can move to the cloud. Moving applications to the cloud definitely reduces and mitigates the risk that we have internally. The other thing that I encourage folks to do as well, regular security audits. Security audits can really help you identify gaps that you might not necessarily see day to day, but doing regular security assessments will help you identify some of those things that you might have missed during deployment, whether it be software or hardware. But I, I think that's one of the most important things to really shore up your security framework within the organization, but also limiting access to applications and files, you know, for folks that don't need it and really changing mm -hmm. your mindset around security in general. You know, I think a lot of folks kind of see this as another thing like, oh, you know, don't want to do it, but maybe we can get by. You really can't get by, especially in healthcare. Folks really have to change their mindsets around how security and privacy really impacts healthcare organizations. Mm -hmm. And uh, how regular these security audits should be, you think? I would say depending on the organization, um, at least once a year. But if there are issues or historical issues within the organization that have impacted their ability to deliver care, I would say, you know, six months, but I wouldn't recommend getting security audits six months. Once you get to a point where you feel that due diligence has been done, I think once a year should suffice for most organizations. Mm -hmm. And do you provide any checklist for those organizations? What do you expect from this audience? Or you just let them to do their job and define the plan and the strategy of this audit? So most vendors come in with a predefined plan um, mm -hmm. for what they're going to audit. I think that is absolutely okay to allow some additional information to be added in that audit, especially if you, you had concerns about whether it's PHI or some HIPAA violations that might have happened within the last 24 months. I think it's safe and fairly reasonable to ask the vendor to hone in or to focus more on a particular area as it relates to security, if you feel that, if it's necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, let's talk about the fragmentation of software. So uh, it is mm -hmm. a big issue in healthcare that uh, organization has many software systems in place for different purposes. What is your, like, how is the situation in um, your current organization there? Yeah, so that's an issue and a challenge for a lot of healthcare organizations. Yeah. At, luckily for us, we have a partnership with Yale University, so mm -hmm. we use Epic as our EMR. And so as a result of that, our instance of Epic is connected to other healthcare uh, providers within the city of New Haven and also within the Yale network as well. So a lot of our clients see some of those providers outside of our organization. So their medical record is already integrated. So again, providing that layer of continuity of care for the client's entire health record, I think is critical. So we don't really run into, you know, any issues around integration or we don't really have to build any HL7 or fire interfaces at the moment for us to be able to have that, those clinical um, records be shared across providers. Mm -hmm. And um, are you personally happy with Epic? 
Yeah, I mean, like any other EMR, Epic has its pros and cons, but I think for right now, Epic has served uh, the organization very well because it is an instance of Yale's Epic. We don't have as much control over it, but when it comes Mm. to reporting and being able to do the configurations that we need to do in order to, you know, serve our clients and run the organization, Epic has been a great product. Mm-hmm. Cool. And as from the uh, telemedicine perspective, would that be like a separate application that would be connected to Epic or how do you see the, the setting of that? So, yeah, it would be a separate um, application. Right now, we're transitioning and, and using um, Doximity. From uh-huh. what I understand, Doximity does have some Epic integration. So we're, we're taking a look to see how those integrations will work with the clinical workflow, but we're still in the early stages around that. Mm-hmm. So you're still choosing the, the vendor. Mm-hmm. Got it. And uh, what is your point on the data interoperability in healthcare in general? How do you see that that could be solved? Is this only by using such a solution like Epic or is this any other like solutions that you see? If, for example, a company cannot afford Epic or Cerner, Yeah, so data interoperability is is a real challenge for smaller organizations that can't afford Epic or Cerner. And this is something that I've been in conversations with folks over the last decade, trying to figure out the best way to, to close that gap around interoperability, around healthcare information. And again, I think what's most important, and this is really at a state and federal level, is for organizations to utilize their health information exchanges as much as possible to assist with the transmission of that information and also making sure if if interoperability is an important element of providing care, also selecting vendors that have a strong history of providing those type of interfaces so that, Mm -hmm. you know, if you do need to exchange um, information with your local HIE, that a vendor can interface, you know, with them fairly easily. The, the challenge in a lot of cases, I, I know here for Connecticut, there's just certain health information you can't transfer um, to a state HIE, such as mental health and substance abuse information. I believe there's some legislation to try to release and, and remove some of those barriers for that. However, primary care information, as you know, is easily transmitted through HL7 and FIRE. But you know, again, working in this industry, healthcare for over 17 years and dealing with these interoperability challenges for about the same time, it's not something that's easily addressed unless you're dealing with organizations that are on the exact same platform like Epic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your point is uh, if you can't afford epic for example you need to think of it like in, in a strategic uh, perspective and choose solutions depending on your demands and depending on your existing technologies absolutely absolutely so i think that's essential yeah cool and uh, turning back to the telemedicine what is your personal intake on how do you see can we expect that this telemedicine adoption will increase in the future with this ease of regulations and so on or things would get back to normal as it was before COVID? no i believe telemedicine is here to stay i i know earlier on during the pandemic there was a question of whether or not medicaid was going to be around at this time 2021. 
uh, when the pandemic started. But I, I don't think telemedicine has gone anywhere. I think organizations, especially governments at the federal and state level, understand that telemedicine has actually uh, removed some barriers for folks that had disparities around being able to get to their healthcare provider. Telemedicine has actually reduced the number of no-shows for a lot of organizations. So now folks are actually showing up to their appointments where before they weren't as much. And and I think as a convenience for patients as well, they're actually really enjoying the fact that they don't have to leave their home to participate in a healthcare visit. So I feel it's definitely here to stay. Mm -hmm. Got it. And do you see that this works the same on the physician level? I mean, do all physicians accept this change and want to use it? Yeah, I mean, from the physicians that I've spoken to over the last year, year and a half, they seem to enjoy, I think, the fact that they're able to see patients on a more regular basis, especially those acute patients that they wouldn't necessarily be able to see before. I think they feel much better about delivering care via the the telehealth model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, there are opinions that like all the population of physicians are not very (laughs) okay with using uh, telemedicine and they're still used to paper and things like that. Right. I mean, and so you'll still get those comments. I mean, I was hearing those comments even before uh, COVID around just EHR implementations, Mm -hmm. the older population of clinicians not wanting to use EMRs because they were used to paper. But I think there's a learning curve for anything. And I think a lot of folks are kind of getting used to the telemedicine delivery model. Yeah. Evolution is going forward. So right, think, right. Yeah. Right. What is your opinion on this um, topic of centered patient data? So patient is able to transfer their data from provider to provider, from insurance to insurance. What is your opinion? Like, do you see that that is happening? I've had this conversation with a couple of folks, and I think that having the patient, giving them the ability to have some type of control over their clinical data, I think it is good. I think it's empowering. However, I also think about privacy and security as well, Mm -hmm. and making sure that there's some education around moving your data from provider to provider. Having access with some measures and controls in place, I think would be also really critical to it. But I definitely support clients and and patients being able to have access to their data. The transmission and the, the actual tangible control of that information, I'm a little bit more concerned about. So I don't really know the answer to that right now. I mean, we don't really run into that a lot. Anytime um, a client wants to move their information from one provider to another, we do a release of information and and we have a process for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little bit different for other care settings, whether it's substance abuse um, or mental health. It really depends. And yeah. And what if patient comes to you with with their data? Like, what is the process? So you... You said that you have process when they want to change, like, as I understood, from you to another one. But what if he comes to you from another one? Yeah, so usually the way I understand it, that is when we have clients that come in from another provider, say they come mm-hmm. from out of state and they, they have a, a folder of PHI, we usually scan that information into Epic just so we can have a historical record 
of that information. Now, what we do, technically, we can't tell the patient that, okay, now that we have it scanned into Epic, now we need to take the physical copies from you. Technically, it's still and legally the patient's information. So we hope and trust that the patient understands the importance of protecting their health information. But again, I think it really boils down to providing education around how to manage your personal health information. Yeah, and I think that's uh, quite a big shift in the, in the mindset that like that you as a patient need to store all your data in the storage that you trust, and you have that ability to transfer your data. So right. that's kind of change of mindset, and yeah, that takes time. Yeah, yeah, and I think again, just like healthcare organizations have to change the mindset of how they protect and manage data. I think the same goes for clients as well. We as clients need to figure out ways to better manage and protect our data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. What are technology trends do you see in healthcare in the next three, five years from now? I think as healthcare organizations handle high-risk case over long distances for you know non-acute um, services, patients are really going to drive the need for more proactive healthcare as you and I mentioned. So the expansion of telehealth services, I think is going to be critical for all healthcare organizations. Patient portals, having Mm -hmm. patients being able to have access to their healthcare information in a digital form, but also being able to submit information to their providers electronically as well. And also remote patient monitoring. I think that is also going to become one of those things that really start to evolve over the coming years, especially as we start to expand telemedicine, you're going to see folks needing to take their blood pressure remotely, BMI, being able to monitor and manage high blood pressure remotely. Uh, So I I see that becoming one of the trends or a few of the trends that's going to really evolve over the next three to five years. Yeah. So you expect that we will see more and more tech products in the space and uh, like, yeah. Right. Got it. And we are coming to the end of the interview. What kind of advice can you give to other professionals who want to develop their own product for healthcare organization like yours and what what they need to consider? Get as much feedback as possible for people that consume your tech. Remove any barriers, build relationships within your organization. That's how you're going to build and deliver meaningful solutions. As I mentioned before, I I always said IT leadership, we don't necessarily make decisions on what's used. We make recommendations. And I think in order to support the folks that are actually going to make those decisions, we need to provide them with as much information as possible. We need to, again, continue to cultivate those relationships so we can help them remove those barriers so they can provide very high quality of care. And uh, you mentioned that they need to to get the the feedback as much as they can. So people in healthcare are busy people. So what is the best way to get as much feedback as they can? Make time on your calendar just to meet with people. I would say as tedious as it could be or as it can be, I think it's critical just to do those basic one-on-ones with the medical director or with the chief medical officer to understand their wants and needs. We're all busy, but I think, again, allocating that time, investing in that time to meet with those folks will help in the long run. 
Mm-hmm. And do you think that medical directors are the best contact to show the product or it is better to start, for example, from physicians? Yeah, well, I think there needs to be representation at each level. So maybe not necessarily the medical director, but someone within her leadership team, but also a department head that could be a physician assistant. But I think there definitely needs to be some leadership, uh, some representation uh, from the clinical team to help make those decisions. Yeah, you mean decision makers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. Yeah, appreciate that advice and uh, your vision on that. So I want to end the interview with the exercise called uh, Rapid Fire Round. I will mm-hmm. ask you several questions and okay. you will answer whatever you want. Um, do you code yourself? Because I noticed that you have a GitHub account with some activity yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah, so I do. Uh, I haven't done any development lately, but I do code. I mostly code in Python and, and Ruby. So yeah, but I haven't done anything as of late. <laughs> Is it like a hobby or is it just you uh, researching something? Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of both. I have deployed some application, web applications internally at organizations that I've worked for before. I'm also an entrepreneur at heart, so I'm always trying mm-hmm. out uh, different platforms and different frameworks uh, for web applications, mostly around data analytics and other microservices within that web apps. Uh, yeah, that's great. Do, do you think, by the way, that uh, director of information technology should code? Is, is, no, absolutely is, uh, not. No, not not full time. <laughs> okay. Do you have a hobby? Yes, I love to travel. Oh, and uh, what is the location that impressed you the most? Toronto. Uh, Toronto, Canada was, was wow. actually one of the most, it, it, it impressed me a lot because I grew up here in the Northeast. So about an hour away from New York. So Toronto reminded me of New York, but a cleaner version of New York. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, what is your favorite book? My favorite book is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. It's a great book. Uh, he, he already has um, a video uh, and uh, TED talk about that. About yeah, I, I saw that. I, I, I got to check it out. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I did run across it. Yeah. I, I assume in the book, he goes like more in depth into the topic. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. definitely does. Yeah. And what is the one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year, uh, year old self? Everything will be okay. Don't worry about <laughs> it. You're doing everything you need to do. Just keep moving forward. Yeah, that's a very uh, positive way to end the interview. <laughs> Thank you, Marquise. Thank you for giving that perspective of how sees things uh, Director of Information Technology in healthcare organization. I think that insights that you gave are very useful for people who want to develop a product for the space and uh, like what uh, questions they need to ask themselves and Thank you, of course, uh, about giving your perspective on the trends and uh, technology developments in the nearest future. Before we finish, what is the best way to get in touch with you if people want to connect? Yeah, I would say the best way to get in touch with me would be on my um, LinkedIn profile. If you just type in Marquise Davis, that's M-A-R-Q-U-E-S-C, Davis, D-A-V-I-S, LinkedIn would be the best way to get in contact with me. Thank you. Yeah, I will also include all this in the resources section as always. 
Thank uh, thank you, Marquis. Uh, thank thank you. you, all listeners, and we'll see you in the next episodes. Mm-hmm.